Jarring Cacophony tells you that you're listening once more to the pieces. No, you're not. I've completely messed it up, but I'm going to keep this in. You're actually listening to The Power of Three, not Pieces of Eight, because I've been doing so much stuff in that this past week um, to try and get season six finished. Yes, this is most definitely The Power of Three. I'm Kenny Smith, and I have got two of my co-conspirators with me. Um, one of them is Up and Open. Hello, person Up and Open. Hello, Kenny. It's Stevie here, if you've forgotten what a name is. Yep, and person number two is Guruk. Well, his name's not Guruk. It's Greenock, actually. Oh, nice for try. God's sake. Can I be any more wrong? This is because I've had one hell of a day. Hi, it's John and Greenock. You sound like a caller to a radio show there. It's just like it's John and Greenock. Just outside Gallifrey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that works. That definitely works. So how are we both? Are we okay tonight? We're not yeah, bad, yeah. I, excellent, definitely. That was the yeah. royal we that I decided to speak on everyone's behalf and then speak I, over I, everyone. I, I felt if you were speaking on behalf, my behalf, that was good. <laughs> this is very ill-disciplined, I'm afraid, this this podcast. Oh, it's it's definitely been uh, one of the more interesting starts we've ever had, let's put it that way. That's what I get because I've been staying up late, getting up early and doing lots of podcasts in my evening, so I'm... Ah, frazzled, but hey, we're here to have a little bit of a chat about one of my favourite stories off of Doctor Who on the telly in the 21st century. We are chatting The Fires of Pompeii, which sounds a little bit like this. Ancient Rome. This is fantastic. It has come. The blue box. I see the most terrible things. Mother Doctor, you save people. Not this time. Prophecies of women are limited and dull. Only the menfolk have the capacity for true perception. I'll tell you where the wind's blowing right now, though. It's going to happen. Someone must make a choice. The most terrible choice. Who are you? Doctor! Skies (gasps) falling. We're in Pompeii. And it's volcano day. I think I'm a big fan of this one because I have a fascination with all things Vesuvius and Pompeii, which I discovered well, I was at primary school. And ever since then, I've always wanted to see a real volcano in action. I'll be seeing one in a few weeks' time. In fact, by the time this episode goes out, I probably will be looking at one in Lanzarote, as I love, absolutely love going uh, to see Tim and Fire, or Sarn, if you're a uh, planet of fire person or the moon if you prefer the kill the moon version so am i the only one who's got an interest in this john are you i believe that you may even have been to the town yes i've been i've been several times i was lucky enough to to live in rome for a number of years and visited pompeii on a couple of occasions and then i've been back a couple of times since 
So, yep, I don't know if I'd say I was a fan of it, but um, it's a, a fascinating place to be. I mean, if we're talking about time travel, then yeah, here is a here's an ancient town frozen in, in, in time. You might even describe Pompeii as a time capsule, if that's not stretching it too far. But yeah, um, and the amazing thing that I find about Pompeii is that it's still yielding its secrets and it's still yielding stories. Just this week, I noticed in, in the news um, there was a, a, a report about the discovery of, sadly, some more uh, bodies, some more remains, casting yet more light on the, the final minutes of, of these unfortunate people. Um, and they could so easily have been some of the people featured in the, the fires of Pompeii. See, I'm, I'm hanging in every word. Stevie, are you a, a fan of Pompeii or is it something that's interested you? Yeah, grizzly fascination from school. I've got a vision of my, my classroom in here. I've got a vision of the books. And I think I was both enthralled and a wee bit horrified by it all. It was, it was such a, it's a moment that sticks in my mind, reading about it, doing projects, doing research. And I think the older I've got, and the more realisation, obviously as a child I realised it was real, but the more realisation I, I had about not only how many people died, but how horribly a lot of them died. You know, and it wasn't from being burnt alive by by rivers of lava. This was suffocation. It's uh, yeah, grim. It really is grim, and and it's funny how the Doctor's story. Okay, there's aliens involved. But it's in no way, it's not ghoulish or mocking. It's actually, I think it's really respectfully done. Would you agree with that, Stevie? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's quite touching. And, and there's, there's a few Doctor Who episodes that really grab you and make you think. And that, that's one of them, I think, when Donna's trying to rescue the child and then the child's mother comes along and, and then you've got, you know, well, at least save somebody. Uh, it really brings it back, I think, her... Catherine Tate's empathy on the whole thing I really, really think works so well and really makes you think gosh yeah this is a TV show but wow. What about yourself John, did you find it sort of did it feel right for you? Yep um, as, a, as a story it's a, it, 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 it walks the fine line between having some really strong comic moments and that just makes the the human tragedy and the human drama all the more stark, I think, in, in comparison. I, I agree with Stevie that, that, you know, I think Catherine Tate plays it wonderfully and it just gives you a, an insight that, you know, she's not just this great comic actor, but that, that, that she has this um, emotional depth to her, her portrayal of Donna. So yeah, I thought I thought it was a real, a real tour de force. I felt it was quite contemporary, almost. You know, it was almost bringing us into that because of the the modernization and the, the the bringing all the characters together and giving it a modern spin and giving us a modern spin. You could have been there, and it's a bit like reading again the books in school. You could have been there. I absolutely. I think it's incredible the so the the, the attention to detail and um, the care it's done. I mean, the the whole the whole stuff. Obviously, the household gods, great. And then we've just got Peter Capaldi. And uh, he's just, he's, he just rocks up and he's just so calm and cool about it all. And just, oh, I love it. The fact that this is the first story to give us Peter Capaldi is means it can do no wrong in my eyes. 
I, I love the Welsh bits in it. <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't even go to try and impersonate, but when you know Donna tries to speak uh, Roman and ends up in Welsh, and the, the guy's speaking back, and Peter Capaldi's got these throwaway Welsh lines, I just oh, I love that. Yeah, John, were you quite enamoured with the uh, young Capaldi, well, younger Capaldi? Well, it's, it's it's striking how young he looks. Yeah, and, and there is that sort of I guess we can watch it now with the benefit of hindsight and sort of get that meta pleasure from watching him clearly having a, a ball touching the TARDIS and things like that. Little suspecting I imagine at that time that he would he would one day get his own. But yeah, I think I think Capaldi is just one of many good performances in it. We can't of course overlook the future. Amy Pond as well, Karen Gillan getting her turn as well. It's quite unusual for two such important characters for the future to appear in in one episode. And of course both Scottish. And both Scottish, yes, which is why they've got that added good look off them, I'd say. I did expect, though, it had all the hallmarks when I first watched it of the great intelligence in it. With the the monks, monk-type people. Oh yeah, yeah. just, I actually thought you could have slotted the great intelligence into there, not had to create the pyrovials and just done it that way. But obviously they had other, other larger fish to literally fry. Yep. But I did think that was it was tropes of that kind of uh, abominable snowman, etc. Yeah, but mm. then you wouldn't be able to defeat the monster with a water pistol, which is just one of the most Doctor Who-ish things ever. <laughs> yeah, do you know? Do you know cosplayers search out that particular water pistol? That doesn't it, it's surprise me. It's a brand, and they go for it, and that's that's what they they go and buy. They must do a roaring trade in that water pistol, and there'd be somebody sitting somewhere going, "Why this is such a popular seller?" Yeah, I like that. Attention I did not to know detail. That. Yeah, that's it. If we're talking about you know how uh, handsome a figure Peter Capaldi is, um, he, he's he's certainly a lot easier on the eye than the, the real life Caecilius from oh. Pompeii who's a, a real life figure this is, and, and, and I'm quite sure I must have read this somewhere but certainly the, the inspiration for the some of the characters anyway come from the, the Cambridge Latin course which was one of the ways in which many people in this country, certainly in the UK, um, were first introduced to Latin um, in school uh, the first book of the Cambridge Latin course is set in Pompeii and the family of the character Caecilius um, is at the centre of it so uh, it's the, the daily life and times of the of the Caecilii family um, so he was a real character but he was a banker not a, not a marble merchant and we have, a, we have a bust surviving of him and he wasn't quite as broad we would say in, in Scotland as uh, Peter Capaldi that is fantastic. I did not know. I mean, I knew that Russell had said they were based on like books, but I didn't realise it was real people. That's brilliant. And of course, who knows? Peter's ancestors may have been from that area, being Capaldi, Italian side. So who knows? That's right. Yeah. I never thought about that. There we go. I'm going to go and do some reading up and have a look and see what the real fella looks like now. See, that's what I like. Podcasts are educational, kids. Very. Absolutely. Right. Okay, we've had our say, so why don't we now hear from the man who wrote the story and who also did the recent novelisation. It's James Moran. 
Um, hello, I am uh, James Moran. I always find it weird to say my name out loud because I very rarely have to do that um, normally. Um, I wrote the Fires of Pompeii TV episode and the novelization, and I've written for Torchwood and lots of other TV shows and things and films. You can and go audio. wrong with yes, very true. You can go wrong with it and things. Um, and they're stuff. always yeah, things and stuff. But uh, thanks very much for joining us today. And could maybe give us a wee bit about your background and your where things were before you came to writing fires for the telly. Um, oh, blimey. Well, I just, I've just been sort of writing writing my whole life, really. Just uh, writing stories, um, sketches and things. Um, you know, growing up in a small town, you're never going to really think that you're, you're going to get into the writing industry. It's just it's a hobby, you know, for years. And then when you grow up, you start, you start kind of realising, oh, actually, this is this is a thing you could you could actually do for a living. But obviously not me. I couldn't do that. Cause that's, for, that's for clever people who are, who are much better. Um, so yeah, so I just kept sort of sending stuff off and getting rejected and and kind of thinking, oh well, you know, it's not it's not not for people like me. Um, and then it just kind of started sort of happening. I won a won a short film competition to have my short film made. Um, then I got an agent. Then I wrote uh, what became Severance, and and then suddenly I I had sold a film. I wasn't suddenly. It took a long time, <laughs> but out of the blue, I'd sold a film script and. And then I was having meetings and, and, and doing TV stuff, and it all it all kind of kicked off. And then my first TV job was um, Series 2 of Torchwood, and I was already watching it as a fan. And then, and then you know, just sort of going from, am I ever going to finish this film script, to, oh my god, it's it's actually sold, it's been, oh, it's been made, it's come out, and oh, I'm getting, now I'm getting TV work. And then suddenly I'm on Doctor Who, it just, it all kind of felt like it happened without me kind of being involved it just sort of came along even though it did involve quite a lot of writing and rejection and persistence and crying and drinking and <laughs> yeah no i'm just excuse me there you may also i was just looking at my screen because i just wanted to double check something and um anyone who follows me on twitter will know that i am a huge fan of a particular british actress and i just thought hang on a minute you wrote Tower Block because I love Sheridan Smith and I think that is such a great Who film. Who doesn't love Sheridan Smith? She's amazing. Yeah, I'm officially the nicest journalist in Britain, according to her, so I will take that. <laughs> um, but how can I just say, what a great film. I absolutely love that. It's absolutely, every time I watch it, I'm still gripped and just like holding the breath. How did that come about? And um, you must have been delighted with the casting as well, given you get Russell Tovey in there and. Jack O'Connell, just great cast. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, thank you. First of all, yeah, it's it's one of the things I'm most proud of, and it you know didn't get a, a massive audience because it is quite a sort of a small scale, low budget UK film. Um, but I'm I'm hugely proud of it. Um, yeah, it just it was uh, I was I was watching another film uh, at a film festival, and there's a moment. It's like it was like a big, big horror movie. And there was a moment where the characters were trying to get away, and, and they started running outside the house, and they ran to the front door. And I suddenly thought, oh god, what if, what if the killer's outside with like a sniper rifle or something? And as soon as they open the door, he starts picking them off. Um, and then it did. That didn't happen. Something else. They, you know, they, they ran into a different area, and different horror things happened. But I kept. But it, it sort of stuck in my head just that little, that little nugget of uh, what, what if that happened? 
I stayed in my head for ages and, and I, I just thought actually that, that could be a good setup or a beginning for a film. Um, so I just started kind of thinking, well, what, why would somebody do that? And who are these people he's doing it to? And, and what's the reason? And, and how do they how do they try and get away? And how do they... And just kind of constructing it all from just that core idea. And then, yeah, and I, I, I remember I, as I was writing it, I remember I got to the that scene where the first bullet comes through and strikes. Um, and I remember just kind of giggling with glee, just thinking, if this gets made and this plays at a fright fest, the audience is going to absolutely lose it at this moment because it's it's so unexpected and horrific. Not you know not ever thinking it would actually it would actually happen. So I was just writing it for myself as a spec script, and then I finished it and I sent it to my agent and I I reread it and I just went, I've just done this thing. I think it's really good, but I don't think it's going to sell because I don't think anybody would want to watch this because it's so grim. It's just so miserable and horrible and upsetting. I don't think anyone's going to want to sit in the cinema on a Friday night and watch this. And my agent at the time said, "Yeah, I don't think they will." Uh, <laughs> didn't thanks for the encouragement. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but we we sort of agreed. We we're just like, "Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen." Um, and then just it kind of floated around for a year or so. And then I was uh, working with the company's guy, the producers, uh, James and Mark. And they read Tower Block and they said, oh, we actually really like this. We'd like to try and get this made. So good luck. Don't think anyone's going to want to see it. And then suddenly it's it's happening and it's filming. And they got, I, I still don't know how they got that cast. I don't know how they got that cast for Cockneys. Let, let, never mind Tower Block. At least Tower Block's sort of a serious film. <laughs> Cockneys is very much not. But yeah, they just they they just they just send it out and and it's you know it's going to be a, a low budget thriller and um, but actors actors want to do challenging stuff. They want to do good stuff and they want to work. Um, even if it's not difficult or challenging, they just want to work. And you know, and if there's something in there that they haven't done before, maybe uh, um, it just appeals to them. You, you never know. Um, but yeah, it's it's a ridiculously good cast. Like every single person in that cast is incredible. I was just so starstruck by uh, Sheridan, first of all, and Russell Tovey and Ralph Brown, because um, I'm a huge With an L and I fan, and he's, you know, he obviously plays Danny in With an L and I, and it just, it took all my self-control not to go up to him and just ask him a million questions about, about With an L and I, because he probably gets that all the time. So I, di- I didn't mention it once. Uh, but yeah, he's he was he was great. They're all so good. Um, and Montserrat Lombard, who plays the the chavy mother of the kids um but she's so horrible at first and then she's so so heartbreaking and sympathetic and there's, there's a scene i was on set for it there's a scene where she's she's absolutely heartbroken and in tears and crying and everybody was just in tears and, and she came off the set and sort of finished the filming we all clapped and i was in tears and I, it was just it was it was so upsetting just seeing someone going through that and then sort of and you go, okay, I'm finished now. I've done. I've done the take. But it's just, it was, yeah, because it was so, it was so harrowing. All these, all these lovely actors, and then seeing them being put through hell. But yeah, I'm, I'm still, I'm still amazed it got made and that it came out and that people, people liked it. I think to say that I like it is an understatement. I love it, <laughs> um, and the fact it's quite regularly shown on TV as well. So people should keep an eye out mm. for it, and um, it's, it's well worth your. 90, 95 minutes, but yeah, it's great. It's really, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And the fact that 
it was done. It's exactly how I picture Sheridan looking as Lucy Miller, and it just well, because that's how she does look. But even <laughs> so, but yeah, fab. So, how did the fires of Pompeii come about? Were you a bit of a Doctor Who fan before the commission came through? No, I was uh, a huge Doctor Who fan um, since since childhood, for as long as I can remember. Um, it's, it's literally been in my life, my whole life. You know, I can't remember the first one I saw because um, I've just always been watching it. Um, so yes, yeah, so obviously I was already watching Torchwood as a fan and watching the revival of Doctor Who as a fan. Um, so getting the Torchwood job, I just thought this is amazing. Um, maybe one day I might even get to do a Doctor Who, but you know, probably not. Um, and it just, you know, then the, but that that Torchwood process went so well. Um, they they obviously you know discussed it and and thought let's let's give them a let's give them a go. So yeah, so they just they just called me in for a meeting before the Torchwood. Uh, I think it was the tone meeting or the read through or something. Um, they just called me in an hour earlier and offered me offered me a Doctor Who episode. And I thought, and I I already had some pictures ready just in case. You always always have stuff ready for. If there's any job that you want or that you might it might come into your sort of sphere of uh, of influence um just have stuff ready always be prepared so i had like several pictures already to go um but they didn't ask me to they just said it's going to be the pump we're doing a pompeii episode and it's going to be very expensive and we were trying to do it for several series now but we figured out how to do it with filming overseas and, and this that and the other and all you know all the things that they that they did to to make it to make it work Yes, they were like, we don't have a story. It's set in Pompeii, obviously, the eruption. We want some sort of fire monsters. We want a nice Roman family to see it through their eyes so that we can balance out the cost of all the, the big stuff with, you know, X amount of pages in the villa with them. And we want some sort of sequence in the eruption where there's a ship that comes out in the eruption. And that's it. Off you, off you go. Uh, if you can come back to us next week with an outline of a story, then uh, please do hurry up because this was May and it was a Wednesday morning in May and they were filming in September so there was not very much time Wow, but I suppose in some ways that's a good but thing that, it gives that's, it... Doctor, that's Doctor Who yeah. it's like, you know, when, when, once that show's in production it's a beast it is, it is unstoppable It's fantastic I, It's just that uh, Pompey is something I've always been fascinated by and the episode of um, mm. uh, Confidential that goes with it is fantastic it's really good factual stuff and it is really good, yeah. It's great they got to do that, but I suppose for you getting to write for a, a doctor, and obviously you'd have seen Donna on screen by that point as well with the Runaway mm. Bride, so you'd have had a, an established doctor and companion to to know what voices you were writing for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was that was helpful because because at first it was going to be a companion called Penny, a new companion called Penny. And they kept kind of saying, whether they planned this or not, they kept kind of saying, oh, she's very much like Donna, um, you know, to sort of try and sort of make her a bit like Donna. I think this was even before they'd even thought about bringing Catherine back. Um, so it was clearly on their mind. And then after, I think after I'd done a few versions of the outline, they just said, oh, by the way, don't tell anyone, but it is Donna. So <laughs> so just change the name in the document. So that, so that was a relief. So I was like, I'm trying to make her sort of like Donna, but not, but she's different. And they're like, no, she's Donna. So yeah, so it was, and and that was that was the, the the core thing about that was, you know, the the Donna in the Runaway Bride for most of that episode is not the Donna that is going to be in the series because she's she is massively changed by the end of that, you know, she's still she's still shouty and fighty and and uh, and loud, 
but she has gone through a massive change. So it's the Donna in sort of the last few minutes of that episode that I was kind of focusing on. So I knew that you know you you have you have access to the the shouty loud Donna whenever you need to, but but it's that Donna at the very end of that that is is the key to kind of to, to sort of focus on, and that's and I want I want to kind of explore that as much as possible. Yeah, I mean I think there's there's this the stuff in there about the I hope it was yours and not Russell's just the stuff about uh, speaking Welsh uh, with the Tardis translation circuits and, and rather than Latin things that was. It's just—it's just so. It's such a funny script with such a dark undertone. Oh, the, yeah. The, the obviously the Welsh is all Russell because uh, <laughs> it doesn't—it doesn't occur to me to put Welsh stuff in because I'm because I'm not Welsh. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So the Welsh stuff is his. I think uh, when it get when it gets quite nerdy about how the translation works, I think that's that's when I sort of that's when I kind of come into it because I. I my my thing has always been in everything I do. I, I try and sort of over-explain everything just to make sure that if anyone questions it, no, I have spent hours thinking about this one tiny little thing, and it all makes sense and it logically works. And that's that's why I go into it even more in the book. So I'm like, no, actually, I have I've thought about this, <laughs> even though I don't need to. Yeah. Did you? How much research did you have to do into Pompeii? Was it something you were familiar with before, or was it? quickly head online or even dare I say a library I'd, I'd or I was already interested in it. I've been again I've, I've been interested in Pompeii since I was a kid as well um so it's something I was already quite familiar with but you know obviously it's it's Doctor Who so they they support you as much as possible so within within a day I think they'd sort of sent me about six books on Pompeii um and the Cambridge Latin course book and uh even at the even an asterisk book um uh, for for some of the sort of the Latin jokes and things like they just like here have a ton of stuff, um, so it's good to kind of familiarise myself with that. Um, I did some extra extra research online because there's a there's that that politician who 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 went to visit uh, Pompeii as it was it, as the volcano was erupting, uh, Pliny the Pliny the Elder, um, and he and he wrote a very kind of poetic description of what was happening, and then someone online had matched that up with a with the scientific timeline of what actually happened and kind of went this is probably this is probably that moment that he's describing this is probably that so I, 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 the page is gone now I, I, I wish I'd saved it um, but that was really helpful because I was like right here's what was actually happening and here's how the people of the time saw it that was really useful because I just you know, I, wanted, I wanted to make it as scientifically accurate as is possible when there are giant alien fire monsters uh, stopping the volcano from erupting so so that so the the eruption sequence it's it's mostly accurate i've just kind of compressed it slightly and, and obviously it's a tv episode so we, we, we skip we, we do time jumps and things so it is just compressed a bit but you know anything that's inaccurate it's uh, that's because of the aliens of course it is, absolutely. It's the, and the time war, if and doubt, blame it on the time war. That's the other thing. It's always the handy guess. Completely. Out. And there was there was stuff. I, there was stuff I couldn't put in the TV episode, which I, I, I've put in the novel. Like there's it's just the, that awful detail of where there's some people in Herculaneum and they sheltered in a room and they and, and they they get boiled alive by the air. The air is so hot it boils them alive. I'm like you can't put that in a in a you know family. A family TV show at uh, at half past six, um, but you could but you can go a bit further in a book because it's not obviously it's not graphically happening on screen, so you can you can go a bit further with that. Yeah, um, which I was I was found thought thought was a bit, of a bit of a cheat code when I was a kid because I I you know I, I was a constant visitor to the library, 
I just thought, how come I can't I can't stay up and watch like a, a horror film at nine o'clock because it's too gory, but I could read some of the most graphic horror descriptions in books, um, and it was fine apparently because you weren't seeing it. And we'll blame Terence Diggs for some of that as well. But uh, <laughs> the thing that um, I mean, I always found that uh, the fact Big Finish had done a, a Pompey set story, The Fires of Vulcan, mm. and I always like to think that the events of that with Sylvester McCoy and Bonnie Langford are just round the corner in virtually every scene, so he keeps missing himself, but it's just a pure historical one, so it absolutely fits in perfectly, um, so it's perfect continuity. Uh, what a cast. Just by uh, accident, yeah. I lo- they, they, well, they, before I wrote it, they, they, they told me there was, a, there was an audio, um, but they said, don't listen to it now just in case you sort of subconsciously either kind of start leaning towards it or or pulling away from it we just want just don't be don't be influenced so i didn't listen to it at all before you know before i was finished um and then afterwards i discovered it it actually just purely by chance they could completely coexist so i just kind of got lucky there <laughs> yeah well to, to my mind there's a little man a wee scottish man with his hat and his umbrella round the corner every time and just they keep missing each other it works works perfectly <laughs> but yeah an amazing cast you got and of course david tennant and um, when he did his first big finish he actually worked with tracy childs and called it and mm. of course we get uh, the doctor who debut of that um big scottish fan well the other big scottish acting fan of doctor who mr peter capaldi I mean, just and mm. and then and of course you've got Phil in there as well and uh, Phil Davis and just you were absolutely blessed with one of the best guest casts of any episode where everybody is just so perfect. It's ridiculous, isn't it? It's just, this is this is a constant theme. Every everything I do, I'm just like, how how did how did they how did we get them? How did, how did they how are they involved with my nonsense? And uh, yeah, they were they were they were so good at just hanging out on set. I was there for a day. Well, they were filming uh, uh, the the modular sec- uh, sequence and, and and the sort of the the attack on the invisible CGI pyrophile, and then Donna's kidnap. Um, so just getting to hang out in a in a, a Pompeii villa with old cast um, in 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 costume, and Phil Davis was there. Um, it was yeah, it was it was quite bizarre. Just see, just seeing them all there it was it was quite amazing. And the fact that you gave Peter Capaldi his Doctor Who debut as well, of course. Well, I I didn't give it to him. Yes, um, you did. You created Peter Capaldi. It just it it just happened. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was. I mean, that's bizarre. Peter Capaldi, Karen Gillan. I just I I obviously none of us at the time had any idea that was that was ever going to happen. Um, in fact, I remember like every time there's a new Doctor, all my family and friends message me going, Do you know, "Who is it? Do you know who it is?" And I'm like, "No, I don't," because why why would I know? Um, and if I did, why would I, why would I just start blabbing it all, all around town? Because <laughs> um, if you don't need to know something, they don't tell you. Even if even while you're working on the show, there, there was stuff in my episode that I didn't know what it meant, but I didn't need to know. So, you know, so they're like, well, if you don't need to know, we're not going to we're not going to risk the information getting out in, a, in an email. So, uh, so yeah, so it was just when the, when the when they were about to announce the new Doctor, I was just like, look, I don't know who it is, they, they don't tell me, um, but I can tell you for sure it's not Peter Capaldi, it just won't be him. And then it was, like, five minutes later, so, so they've stopped asking since, because they're, they're like, oh, God, he really doesn't know. <laughs> you see, you're double bluffing. 
that's the, the easy way around it. And of course, you were blessed to get an action figure as well out of it with uh, the Pyrovile and a Roman soldier. I know, I know. It's great. I had to buy him. I, I didn't, didn't get, didn't get a free one. I got a free Dalek, but I didn't get, I didn't get. But I guess they hadn't made them by the time I was on it. <laughs> so that's quite cool because um, nice to have uh, these wee mementos. And you must have been delighted when you saw the finished episode on the telly. Yeah, yeah. When, we, when they when they first finished it, they uh, they invited me to come and watch it um, at the mill because they they'd literally just like put the last sort of scrap of effects and, and, and titles on it. So I went to the mill by myself. Um, and they had like a little kind of it was basically basically a cupboard with like a tiny little uh, sort of preview TV screen, um, and I just sort of watched. I like literally sat six inches away from the screen so I could sort of see it properly. I just sat in there by myself watching it and just in tears because it was. I was just like I can't I can't believe how amazing this is. You know, not not because of me, but because of what every what everyone else has done. You know the the acting and the the sets and the the effects and the, mu- the music is just beautiful. It's everything about it. So I ju- I just could not believe how how lucky I was to to be part of that. Then of course, a few years later, Target Books come knocking. So what do you remember about the first approach? Was it one of did you laugh? Or did you just was it just? I can imagine there was almost that disbelief element to it. Sort of like I've been asked to write the books that I read in my childhood. Well, no. Well, there was cause there was a, a batch of them came out, and they had some of the sort of the new episodes, and I just went. They, I, was, I just kind of thought they do. They do ask the the writer of the episode before they just do these, don't they? And I, and I just went. I assume they would. So so I actually sent a message, and I just said, just in case. I'm sure you do, but if you're ever thinking of it, please do ask me first because I would I would love to do it. And they were like, well, we don't, you know, that's lovely. We don't have any plans at the moment, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that, that's good to know. We'll, we'll, we'll make a note. Because I just thought, if I just see one coming out and they go, and, and they went, oh, we, we thought you wouldn't want to do it because you write scripts, I'd be heartbroken because I love Target books as a kid. And, and now, always read them because that was my only way to, to see these other stories that were on TV before I was born that I would never get a chance to see, not realising that half of them were lost as well. So yeah, so I just sent that message, and then and then sort of nothing happened for ages, and I just thought, okay, maybe maybe it's not one of the ones that they're ever going to do. And then suddenly, the message came through. It's like, yes, we are doing it. Are you still up for doing it? And I said, yes, absolutely. I will. I will pay you to do it. <laughs> it's amazing. It's it's just such a great book, and there's uh, just all the great jokes. Even just like the looking at the, the chapter titles, everything in latin and it's just it just I'm, I'm just smiling just even looking at it um and it's it just it just looking at it now you must have been so delighted when you're having gone through it and did you make any conscious decisions about obviously you mentioned already some bits to add and did you have a good idea as to what you'd, other bits you'd like to put in yeah yeah there was just some some stuff from uh, from other drafts where which kind of go into a bit more of the uh, the side effects of, of the volcano kind of building um which there was nothing you know there's nothing wrong with them it's just you know you've got a 45 minute episode of tv and it's and it's very fast and you've got it you've got to kind of cut to the chase so to speak so there, there was a lot of stuff that just there just wasn't room for it and it would have just slowed things down too much but you can you can take your time with the novel and kind of and kind of slow it down a bit. Um, and yeah, so I, so I knew I'd have to sort of expand things, and you know I couldn't just do the script. So it would have to 
there was a lot, a lot of stuff that I, I would have to explain and expand on and stuff that I, I would, you know, have, have fun doing. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a tricky one because I've I've done short stories, but I've never never done a full length novel. It's not even a, not even a big novel. It's like it's like shorter than most <laughs> novel novels. So, but I I really kind of it, it took a while to kind of get my to get my head around it, and because in a script it's all it's all first per, uh, present tense um, and sort of you know no description, just kind of speed on, get to it. Um, but in a book, obviously, you have to kind of set the scene because you don't have the advantage of the, the set designers and, and the visual effects and the actors and everything. You have to kind of, you know, do do some of the heavy lifting yourself. Um, and the, the, one of the tricky bits, actually, the, the Latin titles for the chapters, that was one of the early moments where I was really kind of thinking, oh, do, am I going to be able to... I don't, I don't know if I'm actually good enough to do this. And then figuring out I could, I could have the Latin titles for the for the chapter headings and then that meant that meant oh i can i can go off and do a bit of research and find all sort of the right latin phrases and make sure they're ones that like everyone sort of knows they're like you know kind of well-known ones that kind of kind of took the took the edge off and kind of go okay i can i can i can play around this i can have some fun um and i think the trickiest bit was just the the character point of view um because obviously in a in a tv show you can you can cut cut back and forth between scenes and locations I can't really do that too much in a book because it gets a bit jarring you know I can't just have like two lines here and then two lines somewhere else and so you have to kind of stay with a character for either the whole chapter or for a large section of the chapter you can't just keep so I had to I was a, I was about a quarter of the way through and I had to just I don't normally go back and edit um, on the first draft but I had to stop and go back so I was like this this first bit isn't actually it doesn't doesn't quite work, so I went back and I rearranged quite a lot of the stuff so that rather than the soothsayer coming in and interrupting and then we go away from the scene and then come back again, which is fine in a TV episode, I had to kind of pull her out and separate her and then give her her own chapter and introduction and then and then come back. So it was just just a bit of a bit of rejigging and and kind of sticking with a character and and, and going with their POV. Um, so a lot of it is from Donna's point of view. Some of it's from the family. Some of it's from individual family members. I think there's very, very little of it from the doctor's POV uh, deliberately because I just thought, you know, we we shouldn't we shouldn't get too much into the doctor's head because doctor should be sort of mysterious and unknowable. Um, I think I just had a, had a couple of sections where where there was a bit of doctor POV, but but more kind of a, an aside really. And yeah, and writing writing from. Donna's point of view is just endless amounts of fun. I could have just that first chapter. I could have just gone on forever. <laughs> yeah, and what a glorious cover as well from Anthony Dry. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? That was just I got I got so emotional because I I love those old Target books and it just he's really he's really kept the spirit of them, you know, with like more sort of modern techniques, but he's really kept the spirit of of the old fashioned style, and brought them up to date. It's just it's beautiful. Yeah, and of course you got a talking book version as well. I know, I know. I loved it. I uh, I got a download of it to, to have a listen, and they, they sent me a couple of CDs. Um, and Claire's like, a, she's like audiobook royalty. Obviously, and I, you know, I I haven't had audiobooks before, so I didn't realise. Like, oh yeah, she's like, she's the best. I was like, okay. Um, when I listened to it, I was like, oh, she really is the best. She's amazing. She's yeah. so good. Um, just really, really brings it to life. 
so it's different it's different to the book and it's different to the tv episode even though she's doing the voices it's like it's it's its own kind of creature as well so yeah so i ended up listening to the whole thing i really enjoyed it yeah oh so there's now three versions but um it's all <laughs> it's it's a great way to enjoy it and it's a fantastic story i've always loved it and I know I always will. So, uh, James, it's been a joy. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat about The Fires of Bombay. No worries. Thank you. Huge thanks to James for his time. And that was really fantastic, particularly given that he indulged my love of Sheridan Smith by talking about the film Tower Block, which I hugely recommend is uh, is one that you track down and it's quite often shown in the Sky movie channel. So it's very, very good and quite gory. So. If you're of a nervous disposition, it's probably not the one for you. So there we go. That was our wee chat, a wee look at The Fires of Pompeii. Who's read the novelisation, incidentally? Do we both have it? Or do we all have it? Nope. Nope. <gasps> I've read the first half of it, but I've not yet completed it. One of the ones that I bought when they all came out, you know, as as the new releases do. Yep. Um, and uh, I've read about half of it, and it's sitting by my bed, even as we speak. Yep, but so, it sizzles. Uh, and it's, and, it's good. Yeah, and the chapter titles, how funny are they? Indeed, indeed. No, they're very much... Uh, this, this is what happens with me. I, I'll, I'll start one of them and then go back to it, you know, over a couple of weeks. Then it becomes a couple of months. So, yeah, but I must yeah. I must get back to it. Yeah, I, I mean, there's still there's things in there that I still laugh at TK Maximus. It's, it's, it's such <laughs> a silly joke, but it makes me laugh, so... So there we go. So there we go, people. That's been our wee look at that. And uh, we'll be back next week with a look at a couple of Tom Baker audios, the Pescatons and Exploration Earth. So until then, it's goodbye from me, Kenny. And it's goodbye from me, Stevius Maximus, Maximus Stevius. And it's Ave Atque Vale, or Awe Atque Vale, from, from me. Ioannis Bolanus. <laughs> my Kenny Ferrari. Exactly. Red is my favourite colour. Perfect. <laughs> but, John, before we go, do you have one final question for me? Well, gazing into the, the Sibylline Oracles, I'm filled with many questions, but the most pressing one at the moment is, Kenny, what are you going to play us out with this week? Well, John, I'm glad you asked me that. I was just thinking that with the lava coming out of Vesuvius and heading towards the family of Caecilius and their home, if the lava had struck, or when it did, it would be burning down the house. I hope that's not too tasteless. So let's have Tom Jones and the Cardigans. See you next time, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.